Hey yo, my fellow RDs. Stoked that you guys have joined me, or you. I'm sure you're sitting in a car by yourself or listening to these in your headphones by yourself, so it's not a multiple you, even though multiple yous are listening. Anyway, I'm happy you're here. Let's start with a quick card poll. I had only intentions of pulling one card, but you know, what the necklace wants, the necklace wants, or the pendulum wants, the pendulum wants. Nonetheless, the one that I felt most drawn to was Inner Temple. And this, just to give you guys that reminder, is from the Work Your Light Oracle Card Guidebook deck. Love this deck. Um, This one is all like, tune into the portal that is your heart. And it's so interesting because I had challenges like pulling these cards today and like listening to what my heart wanted to pull me towards right as an ego manifester it's all heart led um yeah so I had challenges listening to it today so maybe that means I need some like quiet time in my life maybe a morning walk maybe I should probably get up earlier and walk with my dog if she wants to walk you know it's like a whole like do you want to walk thing do I want to walk thing I want to walk but she doesn't want to walk so how do I walk my dog if she's not with me anyway that was a very long tangent to saying I think I need more time without like headphones in without listening to things and to just really listen to what I want so thank you cards for telling me that the other one which I've never what's crazy is like I've looked at these so many times right And like scrolled through them so many times or so I thought. And yet sometimes I get a card where I'm just like, what? This existed in here? Who knew? Um, But yeah, this one is the ever unfolding rose. Cracked open. It's happening for you, not to you. I love that. Um, Basically being being a human is being courageous, right? And like taking steps um, to maybe let things that are falling fall or let things that are bringing you up bring you up. Basically, everything's going to be okay. And sometimes whatever it is has to crack you open a little bit to learn. And then the last card that I pulled is leap. And I feel like I've pulled that a couple of times these past months, I guess, but it's you go first, the universe will catch you. And yo, I get it. This is a lot about courage and like figuring out which steps are the right steps. So appreciated cards, very much appreciated. So today we are diving into a roundtable rendezvous recap as promised now that I've had time to like noodle about the things and do the things. Um, I'm going to give you guys a rundown on all of the things roundtable rendezvous from the planning stages of it to the execution of it to the lessons learned um, and basically asking the end all be question, would I do it again? So the idea for the Roundtable Rendezvous came to me after I hosted the NYC Summit in Social back in January of this year, 2023. And that was a space where I brought three speakers together, Alyssa Rumsey, uh, Anne Elizabeth Cundiff, and Tony Toledo to talk about collaboration through their POV and their eyes. And it was an amazing hour and a half discussion, three completely different POVs, which I loved. Um, And then there was a little bit of time at the end where the the people who attended came up and spoke about like what their experiences were from like that panel discussion but also collabs and potential hesitations that they had had um yeah and i recognized that people wanted a space to be able to share their voice and i was like okay cool so what if i create like a 
like a space to be able to do that. Because I also found from the Summit and Social that even though I reached out to people who were in like Philly and Boston, they didn't want to come to New York for this, which I thought was really interesting. Um, Because there were 30 people who attended, right? Like that's a good amount of people to network with. It's not like it was tiny. Anyway, I was like, okay, so location is a hesitation or a barrier to entry for people. And maybe people don't want to hear others talk. Maybe they want to share their voices. So enter my idea for the roundtable rendezvous. And the locations I chose were based off of people that I knew in those areas already, right? Like I knew a bunch of people in Miami, knew a bunch of people in Chicago, obviously New York, because I grew up there. Um, and like the New York, New Jersey, Long Island area, um, Providence, because I don't love Boston. Sorry, not sorry. And I went to school there, right? So like a decent amount of my colleagues from undergrad are still there. I chose Boston because again, I knew, or not Boston, rather, uh, Denver, because I knew a decent amount of people there. LA, because it's a big enough city. Uh, Charlotte, because I knew a decent amount of people there. And where else did I go? Austin. Austin, Texas, because I knew a decent amount of people there. And it was going to be trailing the wind conference that I wanted to go to anyway. So that's how I chose the places. And then I added think one more on two more on I added Toronto on I didn't know if I could do something internationally and I already had a good base of RDs in Toronto but I ended up collabing with an RD up there and I'll talk more about that in a bit Um, and then I also did one in like the San Jose-ish area because I like okay I was convinced by another dietitian to do it let's be real but those are that's how I chose the locations and in hindsight this whole process I was doing in response to something rather than following my heart. So as I kind of opened up with today, right? Like that card pull, it's been hard recently for me to tap into what feels aligned, where I'm feeling that heart pull. And that could be because of like external distractions and really not tuning in and listening to what my my decision-making center, my heart center is telling me. Um, But yeah, I don't know in hindsight, I don't know if I went into this whole roundtable rendezvous with my heart. I don't know if I went in with the will to do it. I think I got stuck in my head and the prospect of being like, wow, like each of these can bring in so much revenue. Um, Yeah, I think I got lost in that piece of it rather than, okay, cool. Yes, this is what I want to do. And recognizing before going into it, what success would look like outside the monetary piece of it. And I think oftentimes I forget to do that, right? Because success is not always monetary. Go back to that episode. I think I did earlier this year talking about what success is. I don't have the number on hand, but we can, we can modify our definitions of success, which I didn't end up doing until like late June around this when I was already super frustrated. Nonetheless, let's go back to locations and going into this wholeheartedly, right? So I was sitting at a table with my aunt and uncle, kind of recapping the NYC summit and social, came up with this idea. And within a week, I was like, yo, I'm going to do this. I'm going to figure it out and do it. Um, And then, then I was like, okay, what is included in these spaces? Like now that I have the locations, 
the potential venues, right, of like doing it at breweries because I knew I wanted a lower overhead because the New York City Summit and Social was extremely expensive to pay for food for people. And like people didn't even eat the food. What's up with dietitians not eating the food? Eat the food, guys. If there's dessert, eat the dessert. If you have space for it, you know, like don't force yourself to eat the dessert, but like don't avoid the dessert just because it's like taboo to have dessert as a dietitian. Anyway, I digress. Um, But I realized that from that, the food piece was not that important to people. The CEUs were not that important to people, or so I thought, because that's how they responded on the post-survey. Um, but yeah, like putting this together, I was like, okay, cool. I want I want a guided discussion. I want people to be able to network because that's what they're here for. That was super important to them. And I want to do it at a low-key space at breweries because every city is going to have some type of brewery and it just takes the pressure off of being like, at a formal networking event where you have to like dress up, right? Like you can wear Birkenstocks and like a t-shirt or whatever and make it super chill. So that was my thought process is like, okay, this is what's going to be included within the events. And then I actually edited in the food piece because people weren't seeing the value in the events themselves, which I thought was really interesting. So I'll talk about what I've learned from this in at towards the end, but I think one of the big things was explaining the value and not just what happens at these things is really important. So yeah, (sighs) really intense. I'm like feeling all the emotions come back up now. So please bear with me. Okay. So the, the pre-planning of all of this, I actually ended up talking to another dietitian who does in-person events. And she's like, yo, the ROI, if you don't have sponsors, is garbage. And I was like, huh, yeah, you're right. Let's consider what sponsorship would look like for me. And I've talked about this on one podcast episode, but I wanted all of this in one space so that you guys could garner this information from it. So she and I were talking and... She was like, you need sponsors. And I was like, but I don't want brands to sponsor it because that doesn't align with what I'm doing and trying to like lift other dietitians up. So I chose to go with reaching out to other dietitians who have product or services for dietitians and elevating them, right, for the fee that they paid. I had three tiers of sponsorship, one at $600, one at $200. Four hundred dollars, and then the final at two hundred dollars. There were two spots for six hundred because I didn't want this whole thing to be sponsorship, sponsorship, sponsorship. Um, but I also very much needed the the sponsorship, like monetary investment, to make this happen. So I had two high ticket items or two high ticket sponsorships, three mid tier sponsorships, and then it was initially supposed to be five low tier sponsorships. But I added in a sixth, and I'll explain why when I get to that. Um, but that was super helpful. I think that brought in $3,200 in sponsorship. Um, in sponsorship, So that was amazing for me. I was able to pay for flights. I was able to pay for most of my hostel stays because your girl did this on a budget. And I think that that's also really important to note, right? Like I had $3,200 to work with to fly to, to fly or travel in some way, shape or form to 12 different cities, one international that's a really tight budget, right? But without sponsorship, I would not have been able to do this. And I think that that's a really important to note 
um, if you are considering creating in-person events going forward, having some type of sponsorship where you're recognizing them during the event. So the two top tier sponsors got five minute presentations, the three mid-tier sponsors got one minute presentations and the six lowest tier sponsors got recognition and a quick sentence from me at each event. And they also got like online promotion or whatever. Um, But yeah, without them, this would not have been possible. And I think I was also very conflicted. I would say maybe in early June when some of these weren't as quote unquote successful as I would have liked. I'm going to go more into that in a second. Um, But when some of these events weren't as quote unquote successful as I would have liked, I felt an obligation to the sponsors because in like the pitch that I gave them, I was like, Hey, you're going to, you're going to be in front of X amount of clients and it can potentially bring in X amount of revenue for you, right? Being in front of this many people. And I was already so behind on meeting those expectations for them, right? Like there's no way that I could have recouped having their shtick in front of hundreds of people or over 150 people because already in the beginning of June, I was so behind on getting people to these events um, and filling the seats. So I felt this internal obligation to to sell, right? And reach out to people so that my sponsors wouldn't feel um, like they were duped or whatever that may be, right? But then I also had this aha come to Jesus moment of like, hey, they wouldn't have sponsored this if they didn't believe in your mission. You're doing the best that you can. And even if you're not meeting the numbers that you promised them, you are doing the best that you can. You are like reaching out on behalf of them to these clients, you know, and like prospective clients and telling them about the amazing work that they're doing. So it took a lot. It took a lot of self-reflection to recognize that like, Yes, they sponsored me. They sponsored me because they believe in me, not because they were all about like getting the clients, right? They believe in the mission. They believe in the mission of connecting dietitians, of doing this in person. And it was really hard for me to recognize that and lean into that without putting all the blame on myself for quote unquote, not doing it well or not succeeding or not being successful in getting the numbers that I promised them. So I think that that's also really important to note. If you have sponsors, they are, especially if other entrepreneurs or solopreneurs are sponsoring you, they're doing so because they believe in you. And that is huge. So all that to say is you don't have to be super hard on yourself if you're not meeting the KPIs that you gave them in your pitch. Ideally, you would be. But if you're not, it's not a you thing. And yes, you promised that, but it's also like you're doing your best. You're doing your friggin' best out there. And that's what they would want, right? They want you to keep that mission strong and they want you to do your best. And I think as long as you're showing up and doing that, then the value is there for the sponsors. So it took me a really long time to recognize that. But now that I've come out the other side. I don't know if it's necessarily stronger because rejection still hurts. Um, But yeah, that was something that I think was really important for me to learn and go through throughout the month of June this year. So yeah, sponsorship is really important for in-person events. 
depending on if you want brands or people sponsoring you, whatever that looks like, highly recommend getting sponsorship for at least to cover a portion of the costs of whatever you're doing, because truthfully, this would not have been possible without them at all. And I'll explain more of the finance piece of it later. So pricing decisions for this event. I decided to do a two-tier pricing system, one with like, quote unquote, a practitioner rate, because in our industry, when people have like a practitioner rate and an equity rate, those are the, that's the verbiage that people are using. Um, so practitioner rate was 111 because I felt like for the money, for a networking space, that was pretty good. And for the equity weight rate of $88, I had, I thought those were great prices, right? Because I knew the work that it took to get people at those events. I'm not going to lie. I reached out to probably over 100 people, if not more, some places over 200 people um, to come to these events. And there were more than a handful that I only had two people show, right? And even though I chose cities where I knew people, that's the frustrating part for me. I thought it was going to be an easy yes for the people that I had already had relationships with, and that did not happen. So going back to the pricing piece of it, I thought that those were fair prices for the networking piece of it. Um, I also added in food for that price, right? So that also decreased the ROI of each of these events, having to purchase food for X number of people. Um, and then sometimes over-purchasing food and the ROI drops even more, but that's not the point of it, right? I thought that these were accessible prices, having one at a practitioner rate for people who could swing it and having an equity rate for literally anyone else. I'm not going to judge you which which price that you pay. Um, I did have kind of like an FAQ description of what equity rate is to just keep it more accessible um, for people. But then I also had people say that the equity rate was uh, discrimination or they they felt like it was, um, uh, what is the verbiage? They felt like I was picking on people and making them feel less than. And I'm sorry if it made people feel that way. But on the contrary, I also had people who were very grateful for the equity rate and who had the option if if it benefited them monetarily investment wise to choose the lower rate, right? So I don't have the right answer for pricing. I thought that doing a tiered system like that would make it more affordable and equitable for people who wanted to attend but couldn't swing the 111 bucks. Um, But I think really it caused more confusion and potentially more... Uh, maybe harm. I don't know. Um, But yeah, I think if I were to do it again, I would probably have just chosen a price in between. And if someone said that they couldn't swing it, I would have just given them a discount code, which honestly, I ended up doing a decent amount. I think I maybe had of the, I think I had like 55 total people show up to all of them. And maybe maybe 10 or 15 people paid the practitioner rate, maybe. So I think from a an income POV, that may have been a poor choice on my part. But my thing with this is like, 
initially, yeah, I went into it being like, yo, I can make bank from this. But also like my heart was just like, no, what you can do from this is connect people in a really cool and genuine way. You can hold space for their lived experiences and you don't have to make a ton on it. And like, yeah, that's really shitty from a business perspective, right? Um, I'll talk more about like the the ups and downs through that in a sec. But I, I don't know, like this is something like connecting people is something that comes so naturally to me that like I have a really hard time charging people for it. Um, and if someone can't swing it, I will go above and beyond to make it accessible for them. And there were people that I like sent discount codes out to who said that it was money related and then they never used that discount code. So I don't know what, I don't know if it was actually monetary related or if that's um, an excuse that people use if they just want to say no to something but don't know how to say no to something. I'm pretty sure I also have a podcast on like, can we just normalize saying no? Because that's also really frustrating to me that we can't say no societally. And maybe it's because we're in a female-dominated profession. I don't friggin' know. But if we can normalize saying no when we don't want something, I'm going to be an advocate for that because, dude, it's ridiculous. Anyway, going back to this pricing decision thing. Um, yeah, there were a lot of people that I offered discounts to and that felt really good because those are people I thought who really wanted to come and I wanted to make it accessible for them, right? I don't want someone to be left out because they can't swing it. That's not fair. So yeah, but going through all of this is I don't think, I don't think the pricing piece of it matters as much as we think it would um in the sense that like there were people who said I wouldn't pay anything for it right that's that's the value that they put on it I had someone say oh I can create this myself and do this myself for nothing (laughs) okay cool 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 please go ahead and do that with the time tears and effort that I put into it please go ahead and create it for free let me see how that feels for you or you you tell me how that feels for you um, so yeah, I really think that the the monetary value is the value that the person, the consumer puts on it, right? That's the value that I thought these were worth because I know the connections that come out of this if people really put 100% into it or even 110% into it or even 90% into it, right? Like if you're in that range of like the effort that you're putting into this space and the effort that you put into the follow-up, dude, the ROI for the person investing in it is tenfold. Because I will go above and beyond to connect you to people. And describing that within the value piece, I think I mentioned this earlier, right? Like I have challenges describing the value piece of it. And the value goes beyond just having the conversation at a brewery with a handful of other dietitians. It's who you meet there. And then you're in my world and I will, I will climb mountains for you to connect you to the right people if I know the right person to connect you to and I do that without being paid for it you know so like in this instance I just wanted a little bit of compensation for the amount of effort work and love that I put into this and it was really hard to come to the realization that people were not seeing that right yeah Ooh, I think it's the first time I said that out loud well, yeah, heard it here, folks, exclusive. Um, okay, 
So now let's break this down kind of month by month and how my excitement levels dwindled significantly. And in this hindsight, why I think they dwindled significantly. So in the early months, I was like, I have all the time in the world to promo this. So I was doing like the first three or four events, like promoing them in March, right? So that was the two that I had in late April in Austin, one that I had here in Vegas in early May, and then the couple that I had in Denver. I was promoing those all at the same time and it was exhausting. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I was doing direct outreach as much as possible. I was getting emails as much as possible and just like putting people through an email sequence. Um, That email sequence literally only worked for Austin, Texas. I don't know why no one, literally no other cities responded to an email sequence. Everything else was direct outreach by LinkedIn and Instagram. Um, I had a lot of people say, wow, this sounds so cool. Would love to come. And then ghost after I sent information. I would say percentage-wise, that was probably close to 60 to 70% of people who would say, super stoked on this, send me more info, would love to join, sent info, followed up several times, ghosted. Um, And I get it, right? Like people don't like being sold to, but I had their permission after they were like, yes, send information. So I don't understand that disconnect. And again, this goes back to normalizing saying no if we're not interested in something and not leading people on. Highly recommend that if you are on the receiving end of this, don't fuck with people's emotions because it's really shitty. And this also leads into the feelings of rejection, right? Like having to hold all of people's no's that they didn't want to tell me, having to hold all energy and space for all of that, and then continue to follow up with them, knowing that the answer is going to be no, is really, really hard. Um, Almost to the point of being debilitating. So this month by month thing, right? Like March, April... I was doing great. I felt really good, even though I didn't have like crazy good numbers at my Austin event. I think there were four people at each event. That was pretty solid. Vegas, where I hear I did my internship, I knew people. I only had two people show. Um, I had really lame excuses from people as to why they couldn't come. Um, But again, if we could just normalize saying no, no, thank you. I'm not interested. That feels so much better than your lame ass excuses. If you're on the if you're on the telling people side of it. So highly recommend just being honest with people if that's not your vibe. Um, Yeah. And then in June after like right before Denver, I had two days planned in Denver and I only had one day, not even filled. I had two people signed up and I had so many people days before be like, yes, I'm coming and then not follow through and buy tickets. And I was literally doing follow up until the morning of that was so stressful to me. And that, at that point, it felt like failure because I had probably five more scheduled for the coming weeks. And I was like, fuck, how am I going to do this if I can't even get more than two people at Denver? So I at that point, I decided to cut every second day. I had planned in another city. So I had two days planned in Miami, two days planned in um, in Chicago and two days planned in LA. And I cut all of those back to one day because I was like, I can't. How am I going to do this? You know? Um, yeah. So that was a real like kick in the pants. I don't know if that's the right word. Kick in the gut kind of moment of like, wow, this is not as 
quote unquote successful as I thought it was going to be. And at that point, it wasn't even about the money. It's just people not understanding my goal, my mission, my value behind it. Because how do you explain that on a sales page? page? How do you explain that in a message that you hope people click on, that you hope people respond to? And then when you give them more information, you hope they check out the link to the sales page where you maybe explained it well. Again, this is why I chose cities where I thought I knew people and had relationships with, but that didn't follow through for whatever reason. I don't know. Um, But that was a real bummer, to be honest. So June was rough. And towards the end of June, I think it was like my Philly event when I really started to reframe my definition of success, right? If If two people can make really cool connections at these events, that was successful from then on. And... I think, yeah, I took the whole month of July off because I thought, like personal reasons, I thought that that was going to be a time when I needed off. Um, So I hopped back into all of this in August and had three different, four different cities go, three, four different cities in August. And then my final one this month in September in LA. The ones in August were all very different emotional roller coasters. But at this point, I stopped selling. I was like, hey, I have people for all of these events. Is it as many people as I would want at these events? Probably not. But you know what? I have people and I stopped selling. Um, And that felt so much better because I was able to release it. And they were still really great. There were some that were just like, what happened? Where did that go wrong? And why did no one continue follow-up? But I can't force follow-up, right? Like I said earlier, and honestly even in like the master classes that I've hosted, it's not just networking. It's 100% is you're paying for the follow-up. It's not just the networking piece of it. Networking does not stop when you leave that event. Networking continues through the follow-up and your and the other person's um, perseverance in following up, creating connections, having coffee chats, whether it's virtual or in person, it does not friggin' stop after you're done seeing them in person. Yeah, cool. Maybe you'll talk another, maybe you've talked for five minutes in that event, but you're not going to, you're not going to build relationships like that. It takes time. So like I said, the investment in these spaces is not just for that one event. It's for the ongoing piece of it. So baffling to me that people wouldn't follow up. Um, But again, I can't force it. So anyway, stopped selling, like selling, selling and showing up to sell it in August and kind of just had this release at that point of like, hey, you did your best, Chell. This was not something that your heart was in the whole time. And I think because of the rejection piece, it felt so, so heavy to hold on to um, because I'm doing it on my own, right? From my human design perspective, um, I've we've kind of explained centers and whatnot. If not, go back to the reading that I did for Argavon a couple of episodes ago. Um, and actually, coming in July, I'm going to talk more and more about human design uh, with my human design buddy, uh, Jen Allen. So listen to those episodes if you want to know a little bit more. But I have two defined centers, meaning that I have access to energy in those centers. One is my throat. The other is my ego or my heart center, or you can call it the willpower center. Everything else, I take in energy externally. And there's only so much will can get you through something, right? I had the will to do the first couple and like really put my 150% into it because I did. 
But then when it doesn't pan out, when I'm not being recognized, when I'm not being seen for what I'm doing, when there's more hate coming back at me, more, why are you doing it like this? Uh, I don't understand the pricing. It doesn't seem worth it. Um, Like your pricing is offensive. I can do this for free, right? Like that is heavy, heavy to hold as one person. And yeah, I have business confidants, but it's not like this is their project. It's I'm doing it on my own, right? So it was really, really heavy to hold on to. And I lost the will to do it kind of in the middle of all of this. So it was such a relief by at the end to to feel like I'd made it through, but my heart was no longer in it, like probably halfway through. The month I took off for myself in July was the most magical month of this summer, to be completely honest. And I'm so happy I have a do-over summer because I'm moving to Australia. Yeah, it was heavy. And uh, you know what? I'm super hippie to be on here. I'm going to share it anyway. I I have a medium <laughs> that I use for to like get insights about my dog because she's had a rough time here in Vegas. So I have, she's a human medium, but like very much a really good pet medium. Um, she's based out of Goa in India, in India, and she's amazing. But every time we start a call, it's not just about Luna, my dog. Sometimes she'll be like, girl, we need to talk. And she's like, you are dealing with a lot of rejection. And I didn't say shit to her. I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm, yep. And that's how I knew that it was coming out of me, like energetically, right? Like it was really affecting me on a daily basis and learning how to release that was hard, but also just so helpful. And it, it was just a lot of time in nature, a lot of time walking outside, not listening to anything in my headphones and really making space to just listen to myself and heal internally, right? So that's the learning experience that I came or that came out of holding so much rejection for so long. And I think the resolve to that, that I've determined now, seven months later, is I, not that I can't do projects alone, but projects that I do with someone else, with a collaborator, are so much better. For example, in Toronto, I had... Um, a partner that I was working with there, a dietitian based out of Toronto, who was collecting payments for the events because I don't know how that works legally in Canada and I didn't want to get screwed for like tax evasion. So she was able to collect all the payments, pay the Canadian taxes, and then I came in as a um, as a consultant and then she was able to pay me as a consultant. So with that event, she was like, yo, I think we need to go live. I think we need to post about this. I can share this here. I can share this here. And it felt so much more fluid to have a buddy, to have a collaborative partner at one of these events, someone on the ground helping me. It it really took the pressure off. I didn't have to sell in Toronto very much at all. And I got probably like seven people to come to the Toronto event, which was dope. So all of that to say is I really learned that because I only have my will to rely on, I need someone else with different kinds of energy to to bring into events or spaces that I want to host. I don't want to do things on my own anymore. And like, yeah, I know my business is the Dietitian Collaborative, but 
I don't know why I was lacking the collaboration in this. I was just like, yeah, like this is my idea. I can follow through with it. But no, dude, things are so much better in my world when I bring someone else into it. For example, last year when I hosted the Retreat Yourself in Lake Cuomo, Italy, I brought my friend Miko in and she and I had never met in person before, but that is the most aligned I've ever felt in my life, right? Like that decision with her in that space And it was because I had a buddy to do it with. I didn't think the ROI was going to be great on it. And we ended up both making over two grand on it, which I think is dope. So all of that to say is look at your human design, right? If you are considering doing something and maybe it's not turning out the way you want it to, consider bringing in a collaborative partner. Maybe it's, maybe it's a VA right? Maybe that's your collaborative partner. Maybe it's another practitioner, but look at your human design chart and see like where, where your superpowers are and where you could benefit from having someone else's superpowers fill your chart in. I know for me, because I'm super open energetically that really any collaborative partner, not anybody, but like if I vibe with the person and they have a defined sacral, right? A defined motor, like energizer bunny motor i know that they're going to be a great collaborative partner for me um although that's not the case with miko but she and i define each other's sake roles like when we're together anyway that's a whole different like deeper (laughs) deeper into human design thing but what i'm trying to say is like if you can bring in a collaborative buddy who has energy that's different than yours you can definitely accomplish more And it's so beautiful to see it when it comes together. So that was a huge learning lesson that I really just came up that like really just clicked, I guess, this past week or like within like the last two weeks is like I need a collaborative buddy for everything I do because my will can only take me so far. And if I have someone else keeping me, I don't like the word accountable, but keeping me on task and like someone else to share the the rough patches with, the burden with, it's so much easier to see the light at the end of the tunnel on the other end. Yeah. So the big question that you're probably asking is, would you do this again? (laughs) And had you asked me this in late June, I would have been like, fuck no, I'd never do this again. Um, Actually, in late June, I had this whole idea to like, do this and like bring it into someone else's hands and allow them to like, host these spaces then I'm like "Mm, no because then that's not bringing people into my world and that completely defeats the purpose of doing this you know so I don't want someone else to take over right and like potentially bring people into their world not because I don't want to share the abundance but I think in these instances it's me that brings this together. And I very much had that set in my mind when I was putting these together, which is why I was like, no, I have to be at every location because it's me that makes the difference in like the environment or the the vibe that happens in these spaces. And I think, yeah, to some extent it is me, um, but no, I don't want to outsource it. So that was an aha moment that I had. So would I do these again? Um, right now it's a no. Right now I have zero heart pull to do anything like this again. Not only because the ROI is garbage, but because I don't think people are seeing the value in in in-person connection and whatever at this point in time. 
even though everyone's like, oh, I don't want to be virtual anymore. I think the value of in-person spaces is still something that is more challenging to sell than virtual spaces and TBDY still unsure. Cause I've seen people on the gram recently, like, um, talking about retreat spaces that they're hosting. And I saw one today where like on this woman's feed, it said sold out. And that was a post like three or four weeks ago. And then there was another post like yesterday that says two more spots available. Right. So this wishy-washy lack of commitment for in-person things, I think because we've all had this ease of like meeting on Zoom or meeting on Google Meets for so long and being in our PJs or not even having to have the camera on. Um, I think there's just more of a barrier to entry for in-person things, even though people say they want it and need it. So no, I don't think now is the time. I'm still going to host retreats going forward because that fills my cup so much in a different way. But hosting these spaces, especially when I only had one or two people show up, it drains me. There was one event where I was supposed to have four people show up and I had this mindset, like right on paper, I was like, cool, I don't have to do a ton of talking because there's four people showing up. They're they're going to bounce off of each other and it's going to be great. And then two people, no text, no showed until like an hour into the event. And I'm like, well, fuck. Okay, cool. I have to show up with significantly more energy for this than I thought I was going to have to. It was a pretty good event, I thought. I thought the conversation was really good. Um, But I went home and I was in bed for quite literally 18 hours or until I had to leave my Airbnb that next morning. I was so, so drained from that experience. And like, I think it was because I had the mindset of being like, okay, cool. There's four people signed up. I'm good. I don't have to worry about um, like talking too much. Whereas with the events where I had only two people signed up, I was already mentally prepared to have to show up in a different way. So I don't know how I got on that tangent. Nonetheless, answering my own question again, I don't think I would do these again, at least not in this capacity. Maybe Australia will be different if I can do this collaboratively with other dietitians and have them also help me promo things along these lines. But as in like doing another tour of the States, I, I can't foresee that. Even when I move back here in a couple of years, I cannot foresee doing this again. It was exhausting. And I think from a success POV, even now post facto, I mean, like amazing connections were made. People, I think, had really great aha moments. But in my eyes, it was not successful. It was not the impact that I had wanted it to have at all. I was stoked to be able to see and visit new places. But truthfully, it was significantly more draining for me than it was life-giving for me. I host other spaces like the CoLab Roundtable and the retreats that are so much more life-giving than these were. So yeah, no, I would not host these again. And if you have the desire to host things in person, start small. And if you can, find a collaborative buddy because There's so much work and effort that goes into planning, organizing, and executing in-person events. More than just the outreach, right? Yeah. So, highly recommend finding a collaborative partner for that. 
I think last, I want to share some like major takeaways of these events. I think the biggest aha moments people had were often around like how much they could learn from someone else who's maybe been in the field a couple of years versus been in the field for um, multiple years. I think that was really cool to see because we don't have a ton of like not even free, but we don't have a ton of like low cost mentorship opportunities in our in our world, in our space. And I get that. But also it's really cool to be able to share insights into what has worked, what hasn't worked, what we see um, in our field, what we see as trends and like potentially collaboration going forward. Um, it was also really cool to see people's moods lighten and light up when they would be like, oh, I don't think I've ever collaborated before. And then later on in the conversation, they're like, oh, but I've done this, this and this. And I'm like, dude, that's collaboration. Like, don't tell yourself short. Sometimes it's just a little bit out of the box. And it's not something that we outwardly recognize as collaboration, but it is collab. So I think that that's really cool as well. Yeah. And if you guys want to see all of the takeaways, I have them posted on my Instagram um, mostly by event, like the major points and takeaways from each of these spaces. So yeah, that's, that's my roundtable rendezvous 2023 recap. It was an emotional roller coaster, And I think it all stemmed from an impulsive semi unaligned heart pull to do this. And I think some of that was also because like, I was like, yo, I'm going to be back in the States. I got to take advantage of being back in the States and meeting people that I've met on Instagram while I was in Germany. So I think it was a little bit more of a cerebral decision rather than a heart-led feeling into it, feeling into what my body is telling me decision. So yeah, that's uh, that's the Roundtable Rendezvous. And a quick but oh so sincere shout out to all of the amazing sponsors who made this happen. Kirsten Screen of The Kirsten Screen, and her handle is The Kirsten Screen. Stephanie Notoris of Dietitian Counseling Skills, which is also her handle. Amy Gorin of Master the Media. Brian Butler of at The Brian Butler Blue Jane. Uh, Jess Sertikoff Ramola of Empowering Dietitians. Brooks Shantz of Bitchin Nutrition, Liz Jakalowitz of The Dietitian Editor, Elias Halenko of Snap Studio 55, Rochelle Inwood of The Dietitian Resource, Katie Dodd of The Dietitian Side Hustle, but I'm pretty sure her new handle is The Katie Dodd, and last but not least, Shelby Ruiz of Sociably Shelby. Seriously, like this tour would not have been possible without your support. So I'm so, so grateful for the sponsors who made this possible, who believed in me, who still believe in the mission that I'm on to connect dietitians in a really genuine way. And honestly, to all of you guys who listened to this and who continue to listen to this because listenership has gone up recently. And I'm so, so, so grateful that you guys continue to tune in. Um, I'm super accessible on Instagram if you want to chat. So if this resonated with you, if you were like, wow, I didn't realize how much effort you put into this or whatever. If something resonated with you in this episode or any of the past episodes that you've listened to or any of the future episodes that you listen to, 
reach out to me on Instagram. Let me know. Um, Because oftentimes it just feels like I'm speaking into the ethers because I am, am, am. Anyway, until next week, guys, I'll have Jen on and you guys get to have a deeper dive into human design. Ciao.